Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Now, the response to literature is another type of hybrid model that we added on. I found myself working for a school district in California that needed to meet state standards at that time. And the state standards were such that a grade four or five child would be able to essentially read a story and tell what they think about it. Problem, of course, is that most grade four or five students have a very hard time knowing what they think about anything. If you've ever talked to one, you've noticed that. So they would get the kids either retelling the story or being frustrated with writer's block and and being redundant or repetitive. It's a really cool story. I like it. It's fun. And what else do you say? So I put together these response to literature models for this school district specifically so that they could practice with the students on how to think about a story. And now I'm still not entirely convinced that it's a great idea to do this with grade four or five students. I've done it with older students and had good success. And I think it's a nice stepping stone toward a more formal type of academic style high school literary analysis with a a thesis statement and all that. But it's I guess it's kind of a, a gentle way to go. So if you look on page 163, 164 in the seminar workbook, we have a few different models. What I did was I said, okay, grade four, you're going to write four paragraphs. Grade five, you write five paragraphs. And grade six, you write six paragraphs. And if you write four, you have an introduction. You summarize the story in the second paragraph. You analyze one of the topics in the third paragraph, and you have a conclusion in the fourth. The one you're seeing on the slide right now was the grade five with five paragraphs, where you would basically do the same thing, give the introduction information, summarize the story very briefly in one paragraph, and then give two paragraphs of analysis topic, and then a fifth paragraph with a conclusion. Now, the analysis topics, that's what's tough. So here are some of the ones that I proposed and some of the questions that help you do this. And again, this is more fully elaborated in the seminar workbook. But the four analysis topics that you could choose from would be either a character, probably a main character, but it could be a different character or maybe a couple characters, but character. 
A second would be, what's the main message of this book? A third could be, what's the mood? What's, what's the setting? How does the setting affect the mood? What pictures does the reader, does the writer paint when they write this story or tell this poem or write this book? And you think about the setting of, of various books. You can think about some of the settings, say in Lord of the Rings, you think about where the hobbits lived in the Shire. Okay, that's a setting, and he builds that. It has a particular mood. Take on the opposite extreme. You have Mordor. How does he describe that, and how does it create a mood? So essentially, how does the author create a mood through setting? And then the next analysis topic would be what style does this author use? This is a good one for our students because they are used to evaluating vocabulary because they are regularly putting in quality adjectives, strong verbs, adverbs. They're aware of the quality of those words. They are regularly putting in clauses, such as an adverb clause and an adjective clause with the when, while, where, as, and although. Then, if they have moved into sentence openers, they are acutely aware of the sentence openers that other authors use. Do they use a wide range? Do they have prepositional openers and ly adverb openers and participle openers and clausal openers and do they use a very short sentence do they use questions do they ever use fragments that's something you can pretty easily evaluate in a writer's style and then of course if they've got into decorations they can cite certain decorations the author used a simile or metaphor here there was a nice uh, triple pattern there. There was a, a well-done type of alliteration here and give those examples. So it's really very easy for our students by the time they get to response to literature, hopefully if they've been through all nine units, they've spent a year at least, maybe two, working on the stylistic techniques. So they can analyze other writers' style far better than almost anyone because they have the tools having actually learned and used all those tools. So the idea then is you would choose one analysis topic for a four, two analysis topics for a five, three analysis topics for a six paragraph. You'd also include a short one paragraph summary. I actually wrote one of these with a group of teachers in Rockland. And one of the tricks we had to do is find a story that we all knew very well. And it seemed as though everyone in the room had watched The Wizard of Oz. So we worked on the movie The Wizard of Oz and actually got the entire plot of the entire movie into one paragraph. <laughs> you, you do have to leave a whole lot of stuff out, but that can be done. So that's the response to literature idea. And I'm really, other than having taught it to the teachers in Rockland and having got a little feedback from them over the years, I'm doing it for the first time myself this year. And I have to say, I'm, I'm fairly impressed with what the kids are doing. They're really jumping in and doing some good analysis of characters and setting and theme and style. So just to kind of recap a little bit, when you're doing Unit 9, start with a short story. You don't want it to be too long. You don't want to stress over the level of sophistication. One of the products we sell, which is the Teaching the Classics with Adam Andrews, I find it a very interesting course 
in that he definitely starts with children's literature, even with high school. He explains that you can start with a story as simple as, you know, stone soup that you could read to a, a five-year-old and do a good literary analysis. You could discuss that story because it's a classic, because it has substance. So it's okay to start with things that are easy. We always recommend you make, or we're happy if you buy, <laughs> our posters. The posters are there to continuously remind the student of the model, and that's good. And make your vocabulary charts, use the Critique Thesaurus, and then check out some samples, both from the IEW forum as well as our magnum opus magazine. I think we'll have a link coming up later. Really, to look at samples, contemplate them, read them, share them with your students, that is one of the best ways, I think. You know, In fact, I have even noticed in my own teaching this year, think back on the things that I wish had been a little smoother, that they had got a little more clearly. And I always point to myself saying, ah, I should have modeled it better. I should have had a sample. I should have shown them more explicitly, you know, with student samples, with things I wrote, with other examples. It's one thing to talk theory, here's the outline, but that it's another to see that laid out very clearly. So don't be afraid to help as much as the students need. And, you know, when you get to this unit nine and beyond, just do it together brainstorm a bunch of ideas together. If you have a small group to work with, that makes it even easier. Put all those ideas up on the whiteboard and then they've got stuff to choose. And you know, there's, there's five times as many things as they might've thought of on their own, but they have the freedom to then choose and practice with and apply. And so working together, very, very helpful, very important. Our theme-based books at level B go all the way to unit nine. Some of our level A books, as you see, go only up to unit seven. And so you, if you want some ready to go critique applications, there you have it. The high school essay intensive is, it's a one day course when I teach it live, but the DVD course we've added to it handouts with additional tips, practice on text analysis, uh, response to literature prompts, and examples of college application essays. So it's a much more extensive product if you get the, the video with the complete handouts. Oh yeah, any more questions? Melissa, okay, this, this is a canned question because it's on the slide. First year IEW users, my eighth grader is doing SWIB and EIL's English 1 both this year at this section, Unit 9, should I pick and choose assignments or still try to do all both? Well, I can't answer that one for Melissa. I mean, she's got to decide. She's in charge. She's the teacher. She knows her students. I don't know her students. I always feel that it's better to err on the side of doing a little bit less, but giving yourself enough time to do it a little better. You certainly don't want to stress yourself. You don't want to stress your students. You don't want to overshoot. And if it's first year, eighth grade, you've still got plenty of time left. So while I can't answer Melissa's question, I can 
give a general principle, and that is don't be stressed. <laughs> there's there's no good in stressing stressing the kids or stressing yourself or feeling that somehow if you don't do more, it isn't enough. You do the best you can, and, and that's where it is. Bonnie, how do we encourage dyslexics to really read the material deeply for meaningful critique after struggling to understand the complexities of the text? I don't know, Bonnie, that question. My solution for most dyslexic people is audiobooks. You know, just listen to the thing a few times. If you're dyslexic without auditory processing issues, you're at a huge advantage because you'll actually listen better than most people read. You'll remember more than most people read. And so you'll be able to think about it and have a meaningful critique more than most of people who read it. But if you're dyslexic who also has some auditory processing issues, that makes it really tough. So I would back up to the idea of let's just do this together. Let's read it together. Let's talk about it a lot. Let's write the thing together. And honestly, you know, I have my talk now. I've been doing it for a year. It's a great talk. It's called Lessons Learned from 30 Years of Teaching. And one of one of the subpoints in that talk is understanding is highly overrated. You know, we feel like, oh no, if we don't understand everything, we're somehow missing out. Well, I'll tell you a whole lot of things I don't understand. I don't understand Shakespeare. I don't understand Dante. I don't understand the book of Judges. I really don't understand Revelation. And I'm pretty sure that I don't even understand Ping and the beautiful Yangtze River. So let's not get stressed about understanding the complexities and just be happy if we understand anything. With the dyslexic student, you just have to use whatever multi-sensory approach you can, go at the speed that you can go, do it all together, and trust that good learning is occurring. If there is anybody who has not listened to my talk, The Four Deadly Errors of Teaching, I can't recommend that highly enough. It is, I think, some of the best wisdom that I have been given or extracted or discovered or, or learned. Again, high school level, you know, what is that? That you know, these are teenagers. They could be hormones zapped out, barely able to focus because their emotions are out of control. Or they could be almost adults who are uh, ready to talk about the deep philosophical, theological implications of an argument. So I think it's even dangerous to generalize about teenagers other than to say, do it together, have the best conversation you can, Write what you can and don't expect all of the thinking to go from the conversation and what they're capable of thinking into writing because that becomes a lot harder to articulate those thoughts that are on the fuzzy side to begin with. Oh my, oh my. Oh gosh, if you haven't heard about all the news, well, please do. We have a writing contest going on. There's cash prizes for both the students and the teachers. We will be having a mini conference this Saturday with some of my good friends. If you're not getting my joke of the month on YouTube, well, all I can say is you're not getting my joke of the month on YouTube. And this Saturday we'll have the mini conference. It's some of my best friends, Todd Wilson, Lee Bins, Jill Pike, and uh, Laura House will be talking about a variety of things. So click on that live link there if you want to see what we'll be doing. It's kind of like an all-day webinar. 
I guess I can do it without a tie because it's just slides. And if you aren't aware of all the other marvelous ways we can help you, podcasts, webinars, blog, forum, newsletters, magnum opus, everything else. I see one more question popped up here, and Joanne has asked, can you please give some ways that Unit 9 is used in real life? You know, Joanne, the two best places I see the Unit 9 skills applying in the real world, number one, by far the best, is movie reviews. Because there's too many movies. You can't see them all. You have to make a decision. You don't want to expose yourself to stuff that's going to lower you or depress you. Or you, you certainly don't want to take your children to movies that are not appropriate. And so I love good movie reviews, ones that essentially do tell basically, okay, what's it about? Now, what are some strengths? What are some weaknesses? And overall, What's the value of it? Give, give me a, a final conclusion here from your discussion of the plot and the characters and the dialogue and the setting and the costumes and the theme or whatever. Should, in 500 words or less, tell me, should I spend my time and money on this or not? So I think movie reviews are really a great way for students to see the application of this. And then in the real world, the second would be book reviews. Um, one of the magazines I subscribe to, well, several actually, one of the magazines I read very regularly because it's easy reading on an airplane when I'm half awake, not yet asleep, is World Magazine. They always have book review section, movie review section, and I find those very helpful. I've found books that I definitely want to read. I've discovered there's probably things I do not need to read as a result. A couple other magazines that I read, Touchstone, New Oxford Review, they also will have book reviews. Generally, uh, the higher level the intellectual quality of the magazine, the more in-depth the review is. But I think, you know, kids could write for each other. In fact, I, I would encourage any student to consider putting together some kind of blog and review your favorite stories and books, music, maybe movies for your peers and just start sending sending them out. And I think that could be useful. And Karen, I will tell you how much I love the story of Les Miserables and the musical and the soundtrack. I believe that when when history looks back on the 20th century, history will declare that truly Les Miserables was one of the great artistic achievements. It, it will be up there or beyond the Sound of Music. Copeland may be forgotten forever, but Les Miserables is truly, truly beautiful. And I, now this is, I don't like doing this, but this is how much I love doing this. I mean, I don't like doing it, but this is how much I love Les Miserables. So next Sunday after church, my wife and I and my youngest daughter and her fiance are going to drive four and a half hours to Dallas to see a live performance of Les Miserables, which is not cheap, I will tell you. And then we will stay in a hotel because you can't 
drive home at midnight four and a half more hours, and then we will drive home the next day. So I will spend nine or 10 hours of my time, and I don't know how many hundreds of dollars, so that my family can go and have a peak experience for three hours in the Dallas Music House or wherever it is. <laughs> so I, I believe it will be worth every bit of it because every time I've seen it, I've just been been moved, powerfully, powerfully moved. So there you have my opinion on Les Miserables, but please do not ask me to write about it. I just want to enjoy it. All right, well, let's finish up. We've got no other questions and we're right at the bottom of the hour. So God bless you all. Some of you have been with us uh, month after month after month. Thank you so much for your dedication. Thank you all for your great teaching. I am extremely happy that you have made it to Unit 9. I'm sure your students are profoundly blessed and will continue to be so through the end of the year and in the coming years as you strive with all of your effort to help develop excellence in listening, speaking, reading, writing, thinking. That's our tagline. So God bless you all. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.